0: Hello, my name's Debbie Evans, and I'm UK Columns Nursing Correspondent. And today I have a very special guest with me. But before I introduce them, I just want to say the world has seen so many changes in the last three years. And today we're going to focus on health. And some would even say, even the words medical martial law have come into people's vocabulary. So Today, we're going to be talking about the World Health Organization and the up and coming and talk of the pandemic treaty. Before we introduce you or before I introduce you to my special guest, I just want to throw out a few little facts just to give a little basis of what we're going to talk about today. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, was established in 1948. It it came as an association before that with the League of Nations. It's situated in Geneva, and it relies on contributions from 194 member states and private donors. And those private donors include Gavi and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The Director General of the WHO is Dr. Tedros. And now he was appointed in 2017, and he's now in the second term of a a four-year Uh, directorship. So he's been re-elected in 2021. He's an Ethiopian public health official and he has a doctor of philosophy in community health. Uh, He's also worked at Gavi on vaccines. The WHO employs 7,000 employees in 149 countries. It supports a tobacco-free environment. So if you're a smoker, no one gets recruited into the WHO if they're a cigarette smoker. That's just as a point of Interest. They also have goodwill ambassadors, and their goodwill ambassadors um, included are the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra and the pop singer Craig David. According to Associated Press on Wikipedia, that's the source I got this from, uh, the WHO spent 200 million pounds a year just on travelling expenses, uh, which is more than the mental health, uh, malaria, HIV, AIDS budget combined. So that's a little bit about the WHO. I would just like to say one final word really about the international health regulations, because these are the legally binding rules that only apply to the WHO as an instrument to be used through international collaboration, which aims really to protect, control and provide a public health response. Um, Maybe we're talking about a global surveillance system, perhaps. But under these international health regulations, they can call a public health emergency of international concern, or as they would call it as well, an extraordinary event. Now, over the last year or two years, there's been a lot of confusion with regards to the WHO, what they're doing with international health regulations, pandemic treaties, sovereignty of nations, um, not to mention um, everything else with regards to are we giving our sovereignty to the WHO? Is this a power grab? And no one has been doing more work on this than James Roguski. And I'm really delighted to welcome James. Now James spends, and I know he does, every waking, breathing moment pretty much on looking at every single document that the WHO are putting out. He scrutinises everything. He spends his all of his time researching, reading and reporting. And he's also been the author of uh, Sound the Alarm and wake up and smell the burning of your constitution. He's been interviewed very many times before and he's given plenty of evidence as to what he's seeing. And things are hotting up and James is sounding the fire alarm. So James, thank you so much for agreeing to speak to us and welcome to UK Column. And please tell us what is going on with the WHO. Are we about to hand over our sovereignty? Should we be worried?
1: Um, I don't think worry is something that anybody should do. We should be um, proactive. We should be aware. We should be taking action. And um, one of the words that you said in your fine introduction, because, you know, all of that information is, you know, things that many people don't know, um, the word was evidence, okay? And so one of the things that I've tried to do over the last year or so is just read all of the WHO's, you know, generally very boring documents, watch their very boring meetings, and try to translate their version of English into the English that regular people speak. And so when, when they have these meetings, when they publish these documents, they have their own use of the English language. And it, in many ways, needs translating. And so um, where we are right now at this moment, is the week of um, February 20th to the 24th, they're going to have meetings of the working group to consider uh, amendments to the international health regulations. They abbreviate that WGIHR. So from February 20th to the 24th, that group will be meeting. And it's not known at this moment whether or not they will uh, live stream or record the actual meetings. the week after that, February 27th to March 3rd, uh, they'll be having a different set of meetings, a different group of people, um, similar topics, but a different um, document that they're, nego- they're about to begin negotiating. Um, and that's about what most people call the pandemic treaty. The group that is in charge of um, considering that document is called the intergovernmental negotiating body or INB. And so whenever you may have come into contact with any of this information the vast majority of people the media everyone they they combine and they merge and they mix the two things which is you know easy enough to do but they're two very separate documents okay so the week of the 20th to the 24th they're going to be meeting to discuss um, proposed amendments to the international health regulations. And then the next week, they're going to be discussing what they call the WHO con- convention agreement or other international instrument. And the reason they use those words is those are the words that are in the WHO constitution. I just call it the hookah plus. You know, they call it the WHO C A plus Um They've got to be smoking something if they think that the people, once they learn about these documents, will want anything to do with anything that they're proposing.
0: So James, last year there was a lot of talk about the international health regulations and we found in the UK that parliamentarians didn't really know or understand what was behind, what was going on behind closed doors at the World Health Assembly. There was a lot of I don't know, maybe confusion, because there's a difference, isn't there, between what's going on with the amendments of the international health regulations back last year and the pandemic treaty, which seems to have evolved much more recently. Is is that right? It's not been something that's been planned for, you know, years and years. It's kind of surfaced within the last year.
1: Um the confusion amongst um, Congress and Senate and Parliament and things like that 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 isn't new. That seems to have gone back for you know centuries maybe. but um in terms of the um, amendments to the international health regulations the the health regulations have been around for decades, if not centuries. They go all the way back one hundred and some years. They started out as sanitary regulations, you know to clean up water and, and, and waste treatment and all that sort of thing. Um, so the international health regulations have been around for quite some time. The last big round of amendments was in 2005, but I would like to um, tell everybody listening that you'll, you'll be off to a much easier start if you realize that the international health regulations are misnamed okay they really should be called the international surveillance monitoring reporting emergency declaring um, control regulations and the pandemic treaty started really in about november of 2020 and if you can think back to that time that was before any jabs Um, it, it was first really sort of pushed by the european commission and back at that time you know there was arguments you know about should people be locking down should nations do this should there be travel restrictions and all that sort of thing and it appears to me that the thinking of the people who are involved in these negotiations is still frozen in time at that moment they they don't seem to be able to look at all of the information that we've obtained from you know the last 3 years they have not done any kind of an analysis. There has been no, and I, you know, I hate to use the word, but unfortunately, it's appropriate. There has been no postmortem looking at, well, what has really happened over the past three years? And what, you know, they use the phrase lessons learned. They say they're implementing these things based on lessons learned. I'd like to ask them, what lesson did you learn? Because the lessons that they're attempting to implement appear to be, you know, doing all of the things that didn't work, but doing them harder with more money and, and, and legal authority as opposed to um, just advisory uh, recommendations. And so in July of um, last year, they had a meeting and the first couple of days were televised and then they just went dark. And this is probably what's going to happen. That, that may very well happen um, at the INB meeting coming up. They went dark for two days. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the day on Thursday, they canceled Friday's meeting. But at the end of the day on Thursday, in the middle of July, they came back for a half an hour. And they were all you know, applauding themselves at how transparent they were about to be because they had just made a decision in secret. And they were now going to transparently you know, tell the world what they had decided in secret. And what they decided, no big surprise, they wanted both the, um, well, the amendments to the international health regulations would be immediately binding if they were adopted, but they wanted to be negotiating a legally binding agreement, okay? And, and so the the core of the situation right now, right? Is that the WHO primarily is an advisory organization. I refer to them as the World Hypnosis Organization because they give advice, they make a recommendation, and for some reason, many people around the world assume that that's a legal obligation, but it's just a non-binding recommendation. And so in the documents of all of the proposed amendments, um, Bangladesh, I believe it was, um, changed the or, or would propose to change the definition of the terms temporary recommendation and standing recommendation. It currently is defined as non-binding advice. Well, that's what a recommendation is. They propose to cross out the phrase non-binding, and then when you couple that with other changes that are made to various articles where where it used to say recommendations should be implemented. It now says recommendations shall be implemented. So rather than just coming out and saying, hey, we don't want to just give you advice. We want to tell you what to do. They made a change here. They made a change there. You put the things together. And suddenly the advisory nature of the WHO becomes a command and control. You know, it it, it it could, you know, be seen as medical martial law. Whatever they say would be, you know, agreed to that the nations would have to comply. Now, interestingly enough, um, Tedros Ghebreyesus created um, an international health regulations review committee, which was sworn to confidentiality. They met in October, November, December, January. And in the middle of January, they submitted their final report to Tedros. And then um, at the beginning of February, that report was made public. And it was an advisory report. Some people misinterpreted it as like a final decisive you know, statement. It was advice that was given to Tedros from his hand-picked expert advisors, he got the advice, he passed on the advice to the working group. And in many ways it got misinterpreted as, you know, the final answer, but it's just an advisory document that is gonna be considered um, next week from the 20th to the 24th. And all of the nations who have submitted all of their many different proposed amendments could take that advice or or not take that advice. They're gonna have to, you know, discuss and negotiate what it is they want to do. But that document agreed with my analysis, which is exactly what I just said. If you cross out non-binding and you change should to shall, it changes the whole nature of the organization in regards to the international health regulations.
0: When the lockup, as I call it, was going on, Obviously, each country was doing slightly a different thing. Um, We know from results of maybe Sweden, for example, um, and Israel, different countries were doing different things. Do you think that this is a way of getting everyone, all countries, all member states, to act in lockstep so that if another global emergency is called, every single country will have to act together no matter what their own governments say. I mean, is this, in your opinion, a a direct power grab? And how could this, you know, viewers and listeners watching now are going to be saying, look, you know, especially in the UK, where we voted Brexit to retain and and, and to preserve our sovereign rights, are we saying that the the member nations could end up losing their sovereignty and that the WHO, which is part of the United Nations, would gain control over our own governments. Is it that serious?
1: Yes. I mean, I'll, I'll so expand what, on the answer, but the short answer is do. yes, and I'll, I'll go I'll go forward. Um, many nations, okay, um, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, on and on and on, um, they had all summer up until September 30th to submit proposed amendments to the International Health Regulations. 16 nations did submit proposed amendments. It's a little confusing because Armenia and Namibia, for the most part, just kind of wrote a letter with a little bit of advice and it, it was mostly advisory because they were actually part of a bigger group, okay? And so four nations submitted on behalf of groups of nations the European Union, the um, African region of the WHO, um, a a group in uh, South America and a Russian economic um, federation. And and so all told it's like over 90 nations are represented in these 16 um, countries that submitted uh, many changes, but the UK was not one of them. So back in the last May assembly, Um, all of the nations were directed, hey, if you want to change anything, you know, submit it by September 30th. Malaysia and the Republic of Korea, I believe, submitted it a little bit late, but it's a process. So, okay, no big deal. But anyone in the United Kingdom or Canada or Australia or any other nation that did not submit or as part of a group did not submit amendments could and should look at this, not, you know, just with, the WHO trying to take control, it's the the phrase that they use and what all of these nations are talking about is they would like to change the global health architecture. And essentially what that means is shuffling around authority. Now, if a transfer of authority is seen as a loss of sovereignty, and I do interpret it that way, then absolutely yes, These documents clearly take the words in the um, uh, regulations and change. There's 263 um, instances where the word shall is in the proposed amendments. And in legal terms, shall means you have to. Okay. And so when you agree to a document that says you have to do something that's based on what somebody else tells you to do, I certainly see that as a loss of freedom, as a loss of independence, as a loss of national sovereignty. And and so, yes, people really need to be paying attention to this. And, you know, from the perspective of anyone in the United Kingdom, um, apparently the officials in the UK did not submit any amendments. And so one would assume, well, I guess they thought the current situation was just fine. Now, all of the other nations want to make over 300 changes to half of the articles. There's six new articles and and a new annex to it. We haven't even started talking about what these changes are. And so every single one of those changes is apparently changes that in many nations, you know, their delegates said, well, everything's fine. We don't want to change anything. So there are a lot of, now that's not even taking into account the um, uh, proposed treaty. And so one of the difficulties, there was a meeting on the 7th of February. It was a briefing and um, many um, delegates were allowed to speak at this meeting. And the UK representative spoke. But the interesting thing about what they do at these meetings is they never have like a nameplate you know who is this person you know the ambassador to geneva or the health minister or whomever and so debbie let me ask you a question um do you know who represents the uk when the who has meetings no one around the world has any idea now i've you know researched it to a certain degree and i know some of the people that are in the United States delegation, but they're not elected by the people. They're unaccountable to the people, um, and in many cases, they're completely unknown.
0: Well, wow! I know I don't know. I haven't got a clue. But actually, what's more terrifying, I think, is that um, you know all of this is going on in plain sight, and yet nobody seems to be taking much notice of it. I mean, let's just um, let's just look at the money here. To James, Um, explain to us about the money because the who, well, the WHO are going to want to hang on to as much money or to gain. I mean, are we? I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous. I'm just going to say it. But are we looking at any kind of money laundering, in your opinion, going on?
1: You know, there is the potential for what they're talking about here of just massive amounts of corruption, money laundering, uh, organized crime, um, but they would look at it as public private partnership. Okay, that's the sweet word for what you, know, you just mentioned. And so what I have been saying for quite some time is that uh, Benito Mussolini defined fascism as government and corporations working together. Now we see a lot of that with like the trusted news initiative and and social media and certainly the United States government you know attempting to overstep their legal authority by getting corporations to do what they want them to do that that they cannot do you know censoring uh, voices and things like that when you add in a third leg to the corporations and the government and you add in all of these foundations and organizations and nonprofits. Um, They had a meeting yesterday. It was a briefing, again, for the treaty negotiations, and they spoke to their relevant stakeholders, which last time I counted, there were 393 organizations that are counted as relevant stakeholders. They get to speak At these meetings they get to participate not all of them but at many of these meetings and and so we the people are not given a voice there should be you know a true voice of the people but our delegates don't communicate with us in any way shape or form there's no obligation for the delegates who supposedly represent our nation to actually talk to the people and and get any kind of input we're forced you know to be talking, you know, into social media and, and, and into the you know, alternative media um, to attempt to get them to listen. And so there is a deep flaw in the system because money talks and, you know, how do you get to be a relevant stakeholder? And if you look at the, the groups that were in these meetings, OK, they are a lot of groups who, you know, maybe do a lot of wonderful work. But they're at this meeting, which is supposed to be talking about pandemic preparedness. And what they see is the potential for tens of billions of dollars to be distributed. And they want to catch some of that money for their group, whether they are really pertinent to pandemic you know, prevention, preparedness, response, and recovery. They're off on the side doing the things that they want to do. And many of them, not all of them, but many of them, are utilizing this idea of One Health to bring themselves into a a state of relevancy because they're really not relevant stakeholders in the pandemic response um, world. But there's a lot of money that's going to be flowing into that type of response. And they're there trying to get a piece of that pie. And they probably will because they're sitting at the table pushing forth their ideas Whereas we, the people, um, are, you know, being told about aliens and balloons and, you know, the Super Bowl and, you know, all of the bread and circuses that the media talk about. Thank you for having me on to talk about this, because these are the types of things that will dramatically could alter our lives in the future. And the media will only tell you about things like this after it's a fait accompli and it's all done and up and, oh, too late. You had your chance. You missed it. OK, and that's really how the game is played. And, and so if, if I may, if you want to, I mean, we we need to talk about some of the proposed um, things that are in these documents. But what I've noticed is that all of the people who have become aware of the many aspects of the last three years that were just wrong. OK, the things that were done that did not work. Right. I'll go you could go down the list, you know, from lockdowns and masks and travel restrictions and quarantines and curfews. You know, still haven't figured out curfews. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you can only get sick at night or whatever. I don't know. Um, the, the jabs, you know, were they safe? Were they effective? You know, the answers are obvious. OK. But there's no post mortem. There's no analysis of wait a minute. Um, and, and, and here's a little piece of information that um, I, I think most people are unaware of. Um, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about talking about the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room, it's a little play on words because it involves Africa. Most people are probably not regularly thinking about the fact that the African region in the WHO is not the entire continent of Africa. The Mediterranean nations are in the WHO's Mediterranean region okay so there's 54 nations on the continent but there's 47 in the who region and all told there's about 1.2 billion people in that african region of 47 countries 1.2 billion there are fewer people in north and south america combined about 1 billion maybe in the european region maybe there's a half a billion uh, It's hard to get a a good number on on what's really going on there, but it's substantially less. Sixteen times as many people in the Americas died, and their death was attributed to COVID, as compared to Africa. In the in the European um, region, it's much higher than that. It's probably around thirty times as many people, their deaths were attributed to COVID, as in Africa. What we should be doing is going and talking to doctors like Dr. Shankara Chetty or Dr. Rapiti or others who saved tens of thousands of lives. Dr. Chetty published um, a paper in September of 2020. And if the world had paid attention, it would have been over. It would have been done because his treatment is so different because he understands what the real problem is and nobody on the planet has been allowed to see that information it's there okay but you know it's not spread around it's not talked about and and people don't give it the credit that it's due that's the first article that i wrote when i started um blogging about this more than a year ago and so what's happening with these the treaty and the proposed amendments you can look at each piece of the puzzle and if you go well here's what was done that everybody thought, well, not everybody, but the officials thought, okay, here's what we're going to do. It didn't work. There's no analysis and, and acceptance that it failed. And it's moving forward. And they're implementing it now with legally binding authority and billions of dollars. Now, there was a meeting that they had on September 21st. It was called a, a informal focused consultation. And they asked their experts, um, the WHO asked their expert group, um, what type of metrics could the WHO use and enforce to make sure that nations are, you know, doing what they can to prevent and prepare for whatever the next issue was. And the experts said, we don't know. They said, you know, we owe it to ourselves to look into this further because we got to be honest with you the metrics that they were using prior to 2020, you would have thought that Northern Italy and Spain and Portugal and Germany and the UK and the United States, with all their money, all their technology, all their advanced healthcare systems, you would have thought that they were very well prepared. And all of the metrics that they were using said, nope, they're good. Okay. But they had a catastrophe and, and Africa. Who didn't meet any of the metrics but because they had more freedoms you know some doctors had more freedom to treat people correctly they were wildly successful compared to the rest of the world and there's no discussion of that so the problem is these negotiations in my opinion have to stop they have to stop immediately because they're discussing the wrong things they're not talking about anything health related because the international health regulations are not about health. They're about surveillance, monitoring, reporting, emergency declaring, and control. And so that's what they're talking about. And it's kind of like if you have a hammer, you know, everything you see is a nail, right? They have, you know, RT-PCR, which is, you know, fraudulent to the nth degree, but they keep pushing it. You know, they have jabs, they have lockdowns, they have masks. And even though it's wrong and it didn't work, it failed miserably, they're not evaluating that and actually discussing that because that would require them to discuss the fact that they were so very wrong and what we actually need to do, they don't want to talk about.
0: I'm listening to all you're saying and there's so much to unpack in all of that. And and a lot of our, our viewers and listeners Um, are pretty savvy when it comes to the WHO not nearly as savvy as you as I'm sure because that's what you do however people listening to you speaking um, are going to be fascinated by everything that you've said but we know that the majority of people out there don't know what's going on they haven't got a scooby-doo of what's going on at all not even the basics what? How do you suggest, because I mean, you know, you're right, we need to sound the fire alarm. Even our parliamentarians aren't aware of what's going on. How do we tell people in a measured way, in a simple way, um, how how urgent this is, you know, what kind of words do we use without having to go into each um, IHR paragraph and each meeting? What do we say to people to give them a, a good, easy, precise, but, but on-point message, would you say?
1: I've tried to put all of this information together on stoptheglobalagenda.com. And if you scroll down Um, Action number five that people can take is a template email that you could send to pretty much anybody. And it essentially says, here is the evidence. These are the documents that they are being considered. And the the statement that you, you made, you know, if people are unaware, if they have not obviously been paying attention to this a year ago, I had no idea about any of this. OK, so I can I can appreciate the fact that you know, why would anybody know nobody's talking about it? That's all you need to know. Why is nobody really talking about it? Why um, are the delegates not expressing all of this information to the people of whatever nation they purport to represent? Why is parliament or Congress or Senate or you know ministers or, or whatever? Why is there silence? Why is there no discussion of this? The goal is to shine light on this. So the easy answer is, you know, take this video when, you know, once it's done and there's a link that, you know, people can watch this and just share this with absolutely everybody. If you want to get all of the details, just go to stoptheglobalagenda.com. It's all right there for anybody who wants to read it. On that page, I have a, a little 5-minute video that gives you an introduction to the treaty and introduction to the amendments, to the regulations. There's top 10 reasons that reference into the document, go to this page, go to this article that are the most egregious things. And and so the simple starting point with the amendments to the international health regulations is something that almost everybody just, it it boggles their mind, okay? These agreements, meaning the international health regulations, have been around for decades. Um, All of the nations have been a party to it for almost as long as I've been alive. and And so the process by which the amendments would be adopted is really very simple. If the delegates to the WHO decide to adopt these changes, that's it. It's amended. There's no signature by a prime minister or a foreign minister or a secretary of state or a president or a king um, there's no parliamentary approval because the agreement itself the international health regulations has protocols for how things are amended and if the delegation the world health assembly in may decides to adopt it so be it it is adopted okay and and so what we have are people who are representing our nations who are unaccountable who can just go and decide to give themselves more sovereign authority it's it's a it's a broken system that we need to exit we need to you guys did brexit we need to exit the who because the system is broken the financing is broken the communications are broken that the, the uh, understanding of how health actually works is broken it's broken on every single level you could possibly imagine but the people who are involved in it have really nice high-paying jobs it's pretty cushy you know working for the who in geneva as you put it they spend you know more money on travel than they do on treatment of disease It, it it's gotten more and more and more corrupt it's just broken and it's, you know, in, in the world of construction, um, you know, you might want to renovate an old, beautiful building to keep all of the wonderful things about it. Or you look at it and you go, that's a teardown. Sorry. You know, it, it may have been good at some point. But this thing is just out of control. They They're not even talking about health in the negotiations about regulations that have the word health in the name. They're talking about surveillance and what they want to implement Mm -hmm. is essentially, you know, a, a global ID tracking system. And they want to track things like vaccines and tests and 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 you know preventative measures that are drugs and things that don't work. They want to force people to be obligated to do the things that we all know don't work. It's just crazy. Okay. But they're unwilling to question. The mistakes that they made because they made mistakes and so we the people have to essentially say to them the things that you're talking about didn't work and they're not going to work if you'd make them legally binding and put tens of billions of dollars behind them because you did the wrong things and doing more of the wrong thing does not make it right if this went through what would be the consequences on every
0: single one of us? I mean, how would it affect us in our day-to-day lives? Because I think that's what people are are interested in, is are they, who are they going to be told what by? And are they going to have to do what they're told, basically? How does it affect each and every one of us on a day-to-day basis, if this went ahead? Well, I,
1: I'm, I'm going to Take your question and change it just a little bit, because I am not going to speak into existence that which they are trying to do. Okay, so I'm not going to speak about it from the perspective of, oh, you know, they're going to do this and we're going to suffer. I'll put it in this way. Here's what they are thinking about that is in these documents that we must oppose and must ensure that there's no way that this happens. This is not going to happen so let me tell you what's not going to happen okay Um, they're not going to implement a global health digital passport that would restrict people's movements about the planet okay they're not going to implement in the treaty a logistics network whereby um, the who would be in charge of the global means of production tied with what they call PABS. Really nice little acronym, P-A-B-S. The PABS system is not going to be a system where pathogen access benefit sharing is the thing that happens in this world. Pathogen access means that they would, they've, they've recommended in the treaty, That all nations, when they get some kind of swab or a sample or some sputum that somebody spit up, oh, we we found this pathogen, give access to the WHO. Everybody must send their pathogens to the WHO laboratory where they would then, they're not going to be financing advanced research on increased pathogenicity, okay, which most people would call gain of function. We're not going to let them do that and we're not gonna let them share the benefits of turning whatever kind of genetic sequence information they think they get out of that into more injectables because we're not gonna let the WHO take 20% of all pandemic-related products that would have to be handed over so that they could distribute it. That's the system that has been proposed that we must stop. Now, in the meeting, of all of the different um, um, foundations and and, um, relevant stakeholders. One of them said, oh, 20% isn't enough, you know? And and I'm like, my goodness, these people are doubling and tripling and quadrupling down. They want to control everything, okay? Um, In the proposed amendments to the International Health Regulations, India proposed, and we are obviously not going to let this happen. They obviously, or, or, or they, they proposed crossing out the fundamental principle in Article 3 of the current international health regulations. The fundamental principle, number one, is that the international health regulations are supposed to be implemented with the full respect for the dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms of people. And India proposed just crossing that out. And so that's kind of the only thing anybody really needs, okay? These people are negotiating, eliminating respect for dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms. Now, the fact that that is even on the table, now maybe it's on the table so it could be thrown away. And maybe all of these other crazy things like, oh, Uh, you don't have to have any information that there's actually an emergency. They would want to change Article 2 to have um, a declaration of an emergency based on the potential that there could be an emergency. That's the language that they want to insert, which is absurd. It's like, oh, there's an emergency just because somebody says so. There might be a problem at some point, okay? Okay if they can give themselves the power to declare an emergency give themselves the power to change the meaning of the word recommendation so that it's a mandatory thing then they you know could easily implement medical martial law there will always be an emergency that they could then tell everybody what to do and it ultimately comes down to all of the young global leaders who've found themselves into places of you know uh, power in cabinets and local ministries and you know 15 minute cities and all that sort of stuff we've been able to stave off the worst because the who has only been giving advice okay they want to change that make it legally binding so then when the who in the future if they were to be allowed to give advice that then your local ministers, your local mayor, whatever it may be, would say, Oh, well, you know, we have to because we signed on to this treaty or this agreement and they said we have to. Okay. We have been living over the past three years in a situation where the only thing coming from the WHO has been advisory. And so ultimately, the responsibility rests on the local official who oversteps their authority and they are they are legally vulnerable to lawsuits because they may have stepped their overstepped their authority if the authority were to be given to the WHO and the nations were to agree to abide by their dictates okay that would be an enormously different far worse situation we cannot allow that to even be thought of. These negotiations must stop. This is not about, oh, we wanna negotiate a better deal. No, what in the world do you guys think you're doing? Not a single one of these delegates you know, ever asked for any public opinion from any nation across the planet. Stop these negotiations, stop them now, and start having discussions about all of the mistakes that were made over these three years, so that we don't double triple quadruple down you know with the order of magnitude greater, legally binding, deeply financed with tens of billions of dollars, you know superstructure, building in the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex to rule over everybody with an iron fist. This shall not be
0: when do you think? If in as you say next week there's going to be meetings, um, and we know that traditionally the WHO hold their World, Assem- World Health Assembly every May, so it's it's not it's not too far ahead in May. We're already um, coming up to the end of February, um, early March. So is there a possibility that this could be rolled out in this WHA? I know the original plan. For looking for a pandemic treaty was 2024, but so much goes be on behind closed doors. Do you think there is a risk that something could be accelerated for this year's WHA?
1: Um, it certainly is possible. Okay, and you know they would love to do it really quietly and in secret. And so let me let me do a rewind to last year. Okay, last year the Biden administration submitted documents very quietly. Okay on January 18th, and the WHO never published them on their website until April 12th. So almost three months went by with no discussion of it. From April and May, we got enough word out so that that was completely kicked to the curb. But what they did last year was they broke their own rule. In the IHR, it says that any proposed amendments have to be submitted four months in advance of the assembly but last year a group of nations got together and on the monday the first monday of the assembly they submitted an entirely new set of amendments proposed amendments that actually included the very article that said you have to submit proposed amendments four months in advance of the meeting and they submitted it in the middle of the meeting And what they end up doing is they work with consensus, they make all kinds of decisions in the back rooms, you know, behind, you know, not in front of the cameras, but behind them. And then they um, get to a point where everybody's in the assembly and they either hold up the document or they, you know, say this is document number, whatever. Are there any objections? Okay, it's been adopted. And that happened last year. And nobody knew about it. I mean, I did. I reported on it. Um, That's how things get adopted. Okay. So could that happen again? Heck yeah. That's why I'm screaming about it. Because they could do that. But they're not going to be as bold to do that with, you know, a couple of billion people screaming stop.
0: Isn't it? Because we're not going to see any of this in mainstream media. So this is going to right. go on the, all of the distractions. Like you say, at the moment, we've got balloons and uh, all sorts of <laughs> things going on. Everything going Alien. on. What about for the aliens so, and the UFOs? Yeah, yeah quite. Uh, and all the, all the while behind closed doors, the WHO. And I think for, for listeners and, and, and our audience in the UK, just be mindful that we have spoken at UK Column at length about Susan Mickey, who is head of our uh, behavioural science team. We've talked about Jeremy Farrah, who is also Head's Welcome Trust. He is the chief scientist for WHO. Susan Mickey is a scientific um, consultant. So quite clearly, you can see there's a big UK involvement. And because we're not going to see this on mainstream media, then we have to get the message out. James As well as telling our parliamentarians, our politicians, sharing the information all over the place. Is there anything else that we need to physically do? Because I know that some people in some countries are doing petitions. They're actually putting out petitions in order to get this discussed because it's not being discussed at all. Have you got any advice on what we can do as as human beings to get this noticed?
1: by all means possible, obviously. Okay. Um, but if people go to stop there's a list of things that people can do, right? Step number one is to learn as much as you feel, you know, you need to know um, all of that information is right there. When, when people get to a certain point with this, there's, there's an advantage that we have that I haven't spoken of yet. What, generally goes on in the world is one of two things either the media propagandizes something and tries to get everybody you know prepared you know they um have movies and things you know predictive programming i don't know if people know about um the train uh fire that is going on in ohio yeah um there was a movie last year that was like that exact same scenario right and and so either the media system tries to pre-program people to think oh you know i saw that before that's not new or they try to keep it quiet right so this is something that they would prefer be kept quiet and so that's the last thing in the world to do once we shout about this and we put and shine the light on it i have not come across a single person yet who has looked at this information and said, you know, those are some great ideas. I think that's exactly what we should do. We should make the WHO be in charge of the entire world and turn their advisory um, system into a, you know, command and control, dictatorial, um, totalitarian health regime. The only people who are talking about that are the people who are in the room uh, because they're gonna benefit from it, right? Anybody who looks at this because They have not been propagandized and pre-programmed. And they're not in a zombie state about this. When they look at it, their first response is, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Never heard of this. But then they look at it and they're horrified. And they get a guttural response and they're like, no. And that's what we mostly need to do is to get as many people to be aware of this as possible because so far my experience has been everybody looks at this and they go no 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 way and many of those people will then be activated to contact whatever official you care to talk about there's a pre-written email letter whatever you want to call it has all of the information in it just copy it change it put whatever you want to put in there in your own words and inform everyone you possibly can, because if somebody doesn't know, they're not going to do anything. Of course. Okay. If you give them the information, send them an email, call them up and go, Hey, I sent you an email. I want to make sure you didn't miss it because everybody's busy. Didn't go into spam, sent it to the right email, call up a member of parliament or whatever official you care to discuss this with and your friends, family, everybody else, send them the email. Say, look, I sent you all of this information. I know you're busy. I know it's a lot of information. It's going to hurt your brain. But if you go to StopTheGlobalAgenda.com, I've tried to make it as simple as I possibly can. The more people that know about this, the better.
0: James, you have a subset because I'm just thinking people will want to find out as much as they hopefully will want to find out as much as they possibly can. So they can find you. Tell us where they can find you. All the places they can find you, and of course, you even give out your phone number as well because you know, you're that keen uh, to, to get as much information as possible.
1: I have a number of different domain names that point to different articles, but they all end up at the same place, which is jamesrugusky.substack.com. My phone number is in the United States, so um, the country code is plus one three one zero six one nine. Three zero five five. If you have any of the communication apps like um, Signal or Telegram or WhatsApp, you can communicate that way or text message. But twice a day, um, I'll try to translate this to your time. One of the times doesn't work. It's um, ten p.m. I'm sorry, seven p.m. here in California. Um, but I do a Zoom twice a day, and the earlier one is at noon my time every day, which I believe at the moment would be eight p.m in the UK. And so if you just um, go to any of the things that we've been talking about, you'll see that there's a link to a daily Zoom meeting. I actually do two, um, talking to people in Australia, talking to people in Europe and the United States. And and so if you have any questions, just join one of our daily Zooms and ask your questions. Give me a phone call, um, put a comment in any of the articles, um, spread the word. You know, The simple answer is take this video and you know i don't know um how many viewers you have on a on a typical video but this one should you know bubble up to the top of the list of the videos that more people around the world have seen than ever before it's not difficult to get a link to a video and text it to everybody that you have in your phone email it to everybody that you have an email for send a direct message to anybody that you communicate with on social media and and this is the mind virus that we need to be super spreaders of. Okay? Spread yeah. the word. Um when people see this, um when we all come together and and unify, um we can stop what they're doing. We just have to let people know that they're doing it or they're trying to. And you know, but it's it's their their idea is that, you know, oh, 15-minute cities and Um, You know, you're not going to own anything and everybody's going to be happy. Well, the reality of it is, is we do need to have a great awakening. We do need to let the systems that are crumbling. We need to help them crumble and build a new um, life going forward. Um, And in that world, these oligarchs who think, you know, that they want to control everything, they are going to control nothing and they are not going to be happy because we the people need to stand up for the rights that are unalienable. If we don't protect our own rights, nobody's going to.
0: And that's exactly it, and I think too, um, one of your big messages is don't rely on anybody else. You know, We all have to take action, we all have to inform, even if we inform one or two people and those people inform someone else because this is a serious situation and with meetings coming up in the next week, we are running out of time. So, I mean, as I always do, James, and I've got my eye on the clock because I know you've got another appointment. Um, You're a very, very busy man. So we're super grateful for your time. And I know that um, we'll be coming back to you for regular updates too, because this is such a fast, ongoing situation that really we all need to have at the top of our radar. We really do right now. So with that in mind, I'd really love to give you The last word, and what you think your message would be, and what we all need to hear going forward. So, James, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Um, Super, super grateful. And I'll leave the last word with you. Thank you, James.
1: I am very optimistic. Um, I see a great future for everyone on earth. Uh, If you are fearful, you are in the wrong place okay become informed understand what's going on step into your power know who you are and do not speak into existence the thing that they want speak about what the future is that you want and i have every faith that our prayers will all be answered we just have to pray into existence that which we want going forward in the future, which is very different than what they have been trying to indoctrinate us into believing. So I'm, I'm very optimistic for the future. And I greatly appreciate the opportunity that you've given me to share this with your audience.